Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. Every other Sunday, we'll release an episode of the podcast featuring an interview with a business owner in the food industry. From restaurants, to breweries, to bakeries, and everything in between. We ask them about their journey and the process of becoming a successful business owner in hopes of helping others to do the same. I'm Mike Curtin, and the podcast starts now. Welcome to the Chew Brewer Stew Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so so you never miss another episode of the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts. All links to those and podcast platforms can be found on ChewBrewerStew.com. Thank you for joining us for episode number 14 of Chew Brewer Stew. Today I sit down with Anthony Accardi, co-owner of Transmitter Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. Anthony tells us how their focus on certain styles of beer is how they stay ahead of their competition and why they chose to make the move from Long Island City to Brooklyn Navy Yard. So here it is, episode number 14. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is Chew Brewer Stew, and today I'm at Transmitter Brewing with Anthony Accardi. Anthony Accardi and Rob Kolb met back in 2005 as amateur bike racers. Both had a mutual love for food and beer. It didn't take long till they started to home brew together, and thus Transmitter Brewing was born. 2014, they opened in Long Island City, with their focus being on Belgium-inspired farmhouse-style beers. Business was good. In May of 2019, they moved to the new Brooklyn Navy Yard, Building 77, where they now call home. Anthony? Hi. How are you? Thanks for uh, coming Cheers. by. Cheers. Thank you for being with me. Of course. Uh, so first off, uh, how did you guys come up with the name Transmitter and all the names of your beers, uh, F1, T1, S, yep. S4? The, uh, so uh, we both live in Greenpoint. Uh, so, you know, trying to figure a brewery name out, like any business name, is difficult. Um, we named it after Transmitter Park, which is at the end of Greenpoint Ave. Uh, so that park was actually, uh, historically where WNYC moved their radio towers in the early forties, I think, uh, as the building started to, uh, interfere with the signal, they moved the radio tower across the river so that it would project, uh, to the city more directly. Right, Right. So, um, it was named Transmitter Park. There's still a, a, a short squat building there that the radio station uh, worked out of, like engineered out of. And uh, so we named it after Transmitter Park. It didn't have any particular meaning, but at that moment, we thought we could be in Greenpoint. Right. We hadn't found real estate yet for okay. a brewery. Uh, you know, we had incorporated and all that, but... Uh, there wasn't any real estate that was going to work for a brewery for us at that moment. Um, okay. And, uh, but we already had a name. So uh, gotcha. we found uh, my wife was walking across the Pulaski Bridge, which is connects Greenpoint and Long Island City, um, and saw a four lease sign on a little garage space. Right. And um, at that point, we had looked at, we were looking at all sorts of neighborhoods. Uh, that turned out to be uh, beneficial, both because it was the right size, it was the right rent. Um, it was literally a couple hundred meters from where I live. Right. Uh, so the first year we were working nights and weekends, so not having basically a second commute um, in the evening or weekends made made it much easier on us. Right. Uh, you know, full-time job and then going to a brewery at night um, with a commute in New York City would be a pain in the ass. So, gotcha. um, 
In terms of names, so we decided not to come up with fanciful names for beers. We wanted to just sort of set it and forget it, essentially. So okay. our system is uh, the letter represents the family or style of beers, and then the number is the actual recipe. Okay. And that's truly the name of the beer. That's what we register, and um, uh, the rest of it is just um, word salad, essentially. What is your description of farmhouse? Because it seems like people never seem to know exactly what it is. I mean, people right. you know describe it as like, well, it's a funky style. So to you, what, what is a, a farmhouse? Our farmhouses always use some wild yeast in it. Okay. So they're basically, um, they can, like our farmhouses, they can be like a pale ale, but with wild yeast. Uh, some of them are more Saison-like with a wild yeast. So again, it's kind of, it's kind of fast and loose in terms of, how we consider what we're making in any given style and that's true of the farmhouse but they always our f series always has some wild yeast in it it can have saccharomyces as well it can we can start a beer with uh normal beer yeast and then finish it with uh bretonomyces but okay. um it always has bread in it as a for us um i don't think that's the final definition of a farmhouse right. i mean I, again like Saisons and farmhouse are of a spectrum. They, they're similar. They can even be the same thing. Um, and that's certainly how, uh, how we think about it. Okay. And how did you go about choosing that form? I know you guys don't do really stouts or IPAs, stuff like that. You kind of focus in on that. What made you hone in on, on those? Um, there, I mean, there are lots of reasons. One is it's what we prefer to drink, drink generally. Uh, um, you know, the, the beers we make are, are supposed to be nuanced and very drinkable, um, restrained, you know, we're not adding, we're not trying to make the most sour beer or the most hoppy beer or the most malty beer. Uh, I like them to be designed in a way that has sort of breadth and uh, and depth to it. Okay. Uh, usually leaning a, leaning le yeast forward, right. uh, you know, as opposed to an IPA brewery that's really driving flavor with uh, with hops. Right. Or someone that makes more English style beers that would be driving flavor with malt. Um, gotcha. I think of our beers as being mostly about the uh, fermentation. Gotcha. I don't work too far from where Transmitter first were, was. My firehouse is maybe like, I don't know, a mile away from there. What was the big transition for you going from uh, Long Island City to Brooklyn? So, or, uh, the, or the biggest change right. for you? Uh, I mean, lots of changes. So, right. you know, in Long Island City, we, we ran out of space pretty quickly. It was pretty right. small. Um, uh, you know, we were in just over 2,000 square feet. Right. Um, uh, we didn't really have a tasting room. We had some tables set up and it worked well. We had a little bit of outdoor space and nice weather. There were things about it that were charming and interesting and worked. Right. Um, the, but essentially we were stymied by the limit of space and beer. Uh, making beer is a volumetric activity. Uh, it takes up a lot of space. Um, right. So uh, without high ceilings, you can't put in much bigger tanks. Um, you can't stack pallets up too high. Uh, so really, we, we got to a point where we couldn't make any more beer than we were making already in that space. And uh, so we couldn't grow. You know, it took us a long time to find uh, a space that was right. 
we weren't really seeing anything that we thought was good. So we were shown the space here at Brooklyn Navy Yard. It was actually twice the space when, when we got here. It was twice what we have now. Okay. It was close to 15,000 square feet, where in about uh, 8,100. The ceilings were uh, close to 23 feet high. Uh, you know, it was big, open uh, column space. It had the right load um, for the, you know, we, we knew it could handle a brewery. Right. The Navy Yard had an appetite for a brewery. Uh, right, the right. space that we're sitting in was actually leased originally by uh, Brooklyn Brewery. Um, okay. And at some point uh, after they had signed a lease, they realized that they could stay where they are, essentially. Right, right. Um, backed out of the space. So the Navy Yard thought that a brewery was a good idea and continued along those lines when we showed up. They, it took them uh, a little bit of time to actually split the space for us. Uh, it took us time to build it. So from start to finish, it was close to, I want to say close to two years um, uh, from like basically starting to sign the lease to actually moving in. So And you, you both were balancing the Long Island City still being open and building here? Uh, yes. I mean, we... This space, we built uh, Long Island City ourselves, essentially. Right. Uh, this was, this, we couldn't do that. Um, right. much okay. too Much too much work. Okay. Um, yes, there we were meeting contractors and dealing with general construction issues, but... Um, I was dealing with that, bouncing back, in like, kind of uh, nonstop, it, was it like a nonstop day for you, or...? Um, every day is nonstop day okay. in the brewing world. <laughs> um, that, could, uh, that could be a good thing. Yeah. The... Um, Construction actually went pretty well, um, okay. generally. Like, I, I don't really have any complaints about construction. I know the, nothing goes exactly according to plan, no. but, uh, but most of it stayed right on track. You know, in the end, it probably took a month or six weeks longer than we had hoped. Right. But we're talking about, like, you know, four and a half months. It might have taken six months by the time we were done. Right. So wi within, a, within a range, it was way acceptable. Yeah. That kind of comes with the... Just construction in general. Absolutely. I, I did that for many years before I was a firefighter. And it was just like, you know, like, hey, this job needs to be done by April. Come September, we're still there. Right. Uh, when you first found, obviously, Long Island City was probably way more affordable uh, for the space and where its location. How did you go about finding funding to start Transmitter? Uh, so uh, LIC was started uh, with... Um, our own money. Um, we did it pretty efficiently. We were pretty small um, and uh, paid for our equipment cash and rolled with it. So okay. uh, moving here was, uh, you know, this is four times the space. So right. um, uh, close to a million dollars in construction. Right. Uh, that we funded with an SBA loan. Okay. So government funded loan. Um, which uh, is a good way to go for some for a small business. Uh, bank money is hard to come by. Right. Uh, we still choose not to have outside investment. Um, okay. We've gotten this far without it, and someone coming in and and taking a piece of the business, uh, it's not worth it at this point. Right. I don't. I don't think they would give us what it's worth to us after working at it for six years. Right. So. so far, so good. So why, far, so good. change it up? Yeah, absolutely. So what's something you never thought you had to deal with when starting the brewery? 
Hmm. That, that, that's a good question. Um, what's interesting about my background is I've never worked for someone, essentially. I mean, I had a job in high school, but right. uh, I started a business out of uh, straight out of college. Okay. And so I've only ever owned my own business. And I'm not sure that there's anything that I'm surprised by or okay. haven't thought like I, I've always worked for myself. So I've right. always done it all. My other business was um, was also um, small. A uh, different industry altogether, but um, I think after twenty, I did that for twenty-five years, and I don't think I'm surprised by much. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, uh, I don't. Yeah, it's all just work essentially. Right, that has to be done. So you're pretty much pretty pretty educated, to say the least, to 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 start. Um, what was the morale of your friends and family when you first were starting the business? Uh, that's a good question too. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, my wife knows I'm, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I mean, right. I went to college with her, although we didn't date at that time. So she's only known me as someone that did their own thing. It was time for me to move on from the other business. It had run its course, essentially starting a brewery at that point. She knew, uh, that I could make it work. Right. Um, you know, starting a business from scratch always has its challenges. I'd say that in some ways, the first brewery, you know, a Long Island City 1.0, whatever okay. you want to call that, that was kind of, that was a little bit simpler in a way, simply because it was smaller, there was less on the line. Right. You know, a year ago, once we, once we moved here, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it. There are more moving parts. Uh, there's more on the line. I right. mean, SBA loan is collateralized against your home, of essentially. Course. You know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to lay out 80 or $100,000 in cash um, to start a brewery. It's another to lay that out as well as have your house uh, collateralized. Of course. <laughs> um, so is it uh, is it tough making like the family and business both work together? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that's always true of entrepreneurs. Um, right. It's always challenging to balance uh, work and, and home life. You know, our schedule is basically 12 days on and two days off. Okay. So, um, <laughs> uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, and uh, so essentially we work all week and then one of us works the weekend and then you work, work the next week and you get the following weekend off. So uh, there are long, it's long stretches of work. Um, inevitably, there are festivals or events that you have to set up and do on your, your supposedly off weekend. Right. And sometimes that's traveling or sometimes it's here in the city but um what it does is it throws a monkey wrench into potential plans to um do something with your family on the weekend when you thought you were free so right. uh that's um you know that's uh that's hard um i'd say in general and that's right. uh you know i mean but i think that entrepreneurs in general always have that issue certainly in the beginning until stuff sort of smooths out a bit but uh for us we were in long island city for five years and moving here it's basically like starting again so you talk about doing uh festivals and whatnot you have the uh the new york state craft beer competition in rochester mm -hmm. uh how does it feel to win awards 
and, um, and have your beer recognized amongst all the beers in New York? Right. Uh, you know, it's always fun to be recognized for a particular beer um, on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, I do feel like there's some randomness in, in that kind of thing. Uh, you know, judging is hard, and I give credit to the people that do it. Right. Um, that said, there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into that experience of judging. Um, I'm not saying, I, I would never say that bad beers win awards. Right. I mean, but I think, uh, I think that good beers are all, can be overlooked um, in of that course. setting, right? Like right. if someone's tasting 10, 15, 20 samples of various beers in a day, it's um, a lot on the palate. It's a lot to, right. it's a lot to make sense of for sure. Of course. Um, you know, the New York state, uh, we've won a, a few of those. Uh, right. we just sent our beers out, uh, Friday for this year's competition. Right. That's, so, that's approaching what? Uh, 16th, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Um, we haven't gone up to the, New York State version of CBC. Um, okay, but um, we ha we don't visit it. But uh, we sent a bunch of beer, and let's see, you know, it's throwing spaghetti at the wall. Right. Let's see what they think. Of course, I mean, feedback. The feedback is always helpful. It's always interesting to see how people perceive it, uh, uh, what they think in an, in a, in what I would consider a, a more objectified way, perhaps. Um, so that's that's always good. Um, you know, we entered uh, a contest in Central America and they loved one of the beers and hated three of the beers. Um, you know, that's just how it goes. Right. But the feedback notes are always, you can always take those into account and learn from them. Right. So what, uh, what quality do you think you possess that makes you a great owner? I'm not sure I'm a great owner. So. <laughs> Well, so, so far, so far, it looks like you're doing pretty well. Um, I think owning a brewery is uh, is about paying attention to details, right. and those details can be everything from you know keeping stuff clean to uh, keeping stuff organized. You know, it's paying attention to details. I think that's what I think that's the basis of of success in general. Right. The uh, you know assuming that. You haven't ever made a perfect beer yet, which I don't think we have. Uh, you know, you're looking for continual ways to make improvements, both to the process itself, to the perhaps the ingredients, uh, to the recipes, all, all the way through to how that beer is served in the tasting room. Right. Um, you know, there's there's no place that you you don't want to stop looking at any one part of the whole system because that would be neglect and neglect is um, insidious. So what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned so far from this industry? Uh, it's, it's definitely, um, it's an interesting industry. I think people have talked about this before, like there's a general sense of sort of camaraderie and uh, collaboration. Um, I feel like if I need something, I can make a phone call to a local brewery, and if they can help, they will generally. Right. Uh, the um, uh, I have to say that you know in two two thousand twenty, um, the uh, the number of breweries uh, that are still cropping up makes it competitive, and I'd say in some ways that's not something I would have foreseen. Right. 
uh, something we, I expected. And how, how do you think you go about staying ahead of your competition? Um, we're, we, we do focus on, on these Belgian and French inspired beers. So I think that's the focus of our, of our marketing is to have a niche, um, pay attention to the niche, try to make that, um, try to make that better. Um, you know, there are a lot of people drink IPAs, uh, a lot of breweries make IPAs. And in some ways, I'm not sure that that's a way that um, that would help us as a brewery uh, directly, right. you know, um, the uh, it's really about finding a niche and having a, a point of view. So how do you define success? And did you have a moment of success where you were like, wow, where, uh, you kind of just hit it? You know, I think, I think Transmitter makes, uh, makes some great beers. Um, that feels good. I think we're recognized by our peers as making, as making good beers. Right. Um, in some ways, that, that to me is one definition of success for us. Right. You know, success in a business is pretty easy to define in in a certain way. Like, are you making money, right? Financially, right? <laughs> yeah, financially, yeah. of course. Um, or uh, or are you providing good jobs for people? Or right. you know, I mean that that's another way to look at it. Uh, the um, we still have a lot to learn. We have uh, we still have a lot of room to grow. Uh, you know, we're still a teeny brewery. We've been here coming on a year essentially uh in a couple months uh you know it's just now that we're starting to really add uh production capability we added a couple uh larger tanks um like five months ago and those are fully online and producing uh larger quantities of of beers and that's uh that ramp is helpful. That's a minor success, you know, like, right, okay, right. we're moving in the right direction. Um, the, uh, the tasting room, since we didn't really have like what I would call a proper tasting room in Long Island city. So I think we're showing some successes here in the tasting room in terms of, uh, people like it. Um, uh, various kinds of people show up, you know, right. Sunday morning, um, at noon, we'll have a, bunch of young young parents with strollers come in um oh. hang out uh that's kind of interesting that didn't happen so much in the old location there are always a few strollers right. but so being sort of ingratiated into the brooklyn navy our community as well as the greater sort of community of this neighborhood i think is uh shows some success right um i think it's i think it's huge because you have the big Big windows pretty much showing everything and people walk by probably during the week and they're like, oh, you know, definitely should stop by. Right. Absolutely. Um, we get people that, uh, you know, uh, so the, they added a ferry stop to the end of a dock here. It's a couple right. hundred meters away in uh, June or end of, end of June or early July or something. Uh, so we are getting neighbors uh, using that as a mode of transportation, it's, um, it isn't the easiest place to get to. Uh, the subways are a little bit, uh, a few minutes walk away. Uh, right. 
And uh, so having the ferry here is drawing the neighborhood down the hill a little bit and right. through to the ferry. It is a super efficient way. If you're close to the ferry, it's a super efficient way to get around. Right. You know, Wall Street is six minutes away on the ferry and 34th Street is eight minutes away. So right. uh, that in in it of itself is... People are walking by, and and if they look left or look right, they see us here, right. and they're like, "Oh, the brewery's open." Right. And I'm sure a day at Wall Street will drive you to drink. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so certainly this week. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. So, like, uh, I mean, obviously, word of mouth and people seeing it and and whatnot. And uh, how do you uh, how do you go about strategies for marketing? Um. You know, the, the, we we use the usual uh, uh, Instagram right as as a sort of main focus of marketing. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that Instagram is a superb marketing platform. I think okay. probably it was more influential uh, several years ago, like okay. four or five years ago. Okay. Um, I think the problem with Instagram now is that there is there is a lot of noise. Um, you know, there's a lot flashing past your screen every day. Uh, so knowing what that ROI is, like, you know, what's the what's the benefit of the work you're putting into that marketing um, is hard. Uh, we're slowly adding events here. Uh, okay. I never, never wanted to be an event coordinator necessarily but uh you know again in 2020 having events uh at a brewery is interesting to people right. um you know it gets them in there's something besides beer um and um you know as good as and tasty as beer is it doesn't feel like it's enough with right. so many breweries in the U.S. Like, there has to be another layer involved in that. Um, you know, you almost want to become, like, a lifestyle brand of some sort. Right. What do you think's been the biggest change in the last five years for you and the industry? So when we started in 2014, we opened in March of 2014 in Long Island City, uh, you know, there were under half as many breweries uh at that point it didn't the tasting room model was uh relatively new um okay. so that was never on the radar as being uh anything that was going to explode the same way that it has so the tasting room driving um driving the success and distribution of the of the brewery i think is something that's really evident in the last five years that's not something that in the beginning we had necessarily considered, which is partly why um, Long Island City was fine as a place to start. Right. Uh, you know, when we realized that we needed to have more potential on-premise uh, sales, you know, we, we were able to pivot slightly and add a few picnic tables and grow that part in Long Island City, but right. it was still pretty diminutive and, and limited. Uh, now we know that uh, tasting room is a huge part of local breweries. You know, as you're Absolutely. you're sitting in one now, right. Um, right. you know it is a, it is 25 percent of our space essentially. You know, we're sitting in close to 1,800 square feet of tasting room. Uh, 
you know, this afternoon, um, this place at 3.30 will be full up of beer fans, right. friends that are out to have a beer, like all, all families again uh, with kids, um, all sorts of different groups of people like hanging out and having a moment at a brewery as opposed to any other choice. So, Right. A normal day at the brewery, full day here, whether it's working, running the bar, what do you think the greatest joy you take away from from being here at the um, end of the day? I've always liked to make beautiful things. And so for me, that's, uh, that's really what it's about. Right. Um, so in, in my previous life, I printed photographs for artists. Okay. I had a custom photo lab. And so at the end of that day, I was able to say that I made something that was beautiful. Right. Uh, and I think that at the end of a day here um, at the brewery, that's, uh, I, I gained similar satisfaction that um, you can make something, you can finish your day and have said you made something beautiful. Gotcha. Mo most days. <laughs> right. And if uh, somebody wanted to open their own brewery, what, what advice would you give them? Something that you kind of wish you knew back then when you started? So many things. Um, the, uh, Do tell. <laughs> um, I think we made a mistake, and, and, and this is all 2020 hindsight, right. but um, starting too small is difficult. Okay. Um, you know, brewing is an infinitely scalable activity, essentially. It takes the same amount of time to brew 10 gallons of beer as it does to brew 1,000 gallons of beer. Yes. So uh, if you're spending all your time uh, making batch after batch of hundred gallon of beer, um, it's, uh, that's difficult work. Um, and unfortunately, uh, generally that's, that should be a very small part of what you do during the day. Uh, and if it, if it's not a big enough batch, you can't get enough beer made to make, to be successful. Um, that's, that's the first thing, like right. starting a small brewery in, in, is really hard, uh, uh, in some ways. Um, you know, I'd say be, make sure you have some money behind you. Um, and I don't mean you need funding necessarily so much as, uh, it is not in, in, again, in, we're talking about 2020, we're talking about right now. Um, it is super competitive there are we're in new york city there are a ton of breweries here uh more every day and on top of that uh many breweries look to distribute in new york city because of the potential influence for their brand that it can have so right. uh you're getting competition from within uh city breweries that's fine um but you're getting like both national and international companies looking to distribute here, even if that's just uh, sort of once in a while, um, you know, they're as big as it is here. There are a ton, there are a ton of tap lines, but probably not as many as breweries that want to be here. Gotcha. Did you have a funny story for us? We uh, naturally carbonate all our beer, so our cans, bottles, kegs are all naturally carbonated. Okay. Um, that's probably in some ways the hardest thing we do technically. Uh, it's definitely not something that most breweries do. Uh, people force carbonate their beer, and it's a perfectly great way to make beer. Right. Uh, we chose to do it 
naturally by priming and uh, redosing a little bit of yeast. Right. Uh, so we haven't made early on. We definitely had some some britzy beers as our learning curve. Uh, you know, on the learning curve, right. uh, we started canning about two years ago, uh, give or take. We did a lot of testing beforehand uh, to figure it out, make sure that can conditioning was going to work. Um, there's no reason why it shouldn't. We just wanted to make sure we knew that it was going to work the way we expected it to. And okay. uh, we did have a batch of beer in cans that was... Uh, that was a little bit overcarbonated, and it was the middle of summer, uh, and and then you know basically we started hearing uh, popping uh, from the from the small warehouse area that we had, and so we had to dump an entire batch of uh, cans uh, that had never happened beforehand okay. to us, and uh, just putting that thing onto a forklift and putting it into the back of a garbage truck was really intense and hairy <laughs> and funny. I'm, I mean. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it, uh, <laughs> it was heartbreaking a little bit as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the only thing the worse than that would be to have that happen out in the world. Right. So to catch that, to have that problem and catch that at the brewery is an acceptable uh, solution for that problem for sure. Right. Uh, sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to do a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Okay. Five quick questions. Uh, one, two, five. Word answer. All right. Uh, favorite style of beer? Uh, Saison. Saison. Favorite brewery besides your own? Uh, uh, I'd say um, let's go with Off Color. Off Color. Okay. Favorite seasonal beer? Mm. Wow. I, you know, I never think about beer as seasonally that way. Um, let's go with just a, a light lager. Light lager. Okay. Uh, favorite beer and food pairing? Um, I'd say a Saison and Mussels. Mussels. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Barrel aged, imperial, or both? Uh, not imperial. Barrel aged is good. Barrel aged. Yeah. I mean, funky sour barrel aged. Funky sour barrel aged just sounds delicious. Yeah. I think I had one of those by Grimm once before that actually caught. I'm not a big sour fan. Okay. But I had one and I was like, wow, it's delicious. <laughs> well, that's, that's all I got for you. Aunt. Okay. And thank you very much. Sure. Cheers. Cheers. Thank, thank you for being with us. Thanks. I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewer Stew. Here with Anthony at Transmitter Brewing in Brooklyn. Thank you very much, man. Thanks, Mike. All right. Hey, guys. So that was the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to take something away from that interview as you will with every interview. Special thanks again goes out to Anthony Accardi from Transmitter Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. If you're ever roaming around the Brooklyn Navy Yard, stop by Building 77 for a couple of delicious farmhouse ales. Or swing by your local distributor and pick up a couple of their beers. Every other Sunday, I'll be posting a new podcast, so stay tuned, and like I said, subscribe, and you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts for video clips of the interviews. Also, if there's something you're curious about knowing from the owners, then I want to ask it. You can email me directly at ChewBrewerStew.com. Once again, I'm Mike Curtin for Chew Brewer Stew. 
Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.